has reopened its doors. <gasps> I'm with Jim Hope of Kid First Industries, which has generously stepped in to educate our children. That's right, Kent. You know, when public schools drop the ball, it's up to the private sector to fall on that fumble and run for the end zone. Will you be replacing the current teachers and administrators? Very much so, Kent. But they've already received an extremely generous severance package. Valencia? <laughs> These are juice oranges. Question: What he say after that? Uh, <laughs> he said yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Of course he did. Well, welcome to another episode of Club Manifesto. Uh, my name is Joe. I'm joined, as always, by Sos. We've got great episode ready for you today. Uh, today we are discussing the Broad Memo. Uh, otherwise known as the Great Public Schools Now Initiative, which uh, seems to have been written in early 2015. The Broad Memo outlines uh, an initiative that was supported by a pretty massive organization called the Eli and Edith Broad Foundation, uh, which is uh, purportedly committed to, you know, essentially privatizing the Los Angeles uh, public school system. And the Broad Foundation most recently uh, reported its taxes on its taxes that it has assets in the neighborhood of uh, 2.1 billion dollars. So pretty, yeah, pretty uh, not, formidable group. Yeah, formidable they're not group. working with chump change, are they? No. Um, and uh, the the memo that they put together uh, we're discussing today it was actually confidential at the time, and then was obtained by the Los Angeles Times somehow. Uh, in 2015, and was then subsequently published, which is why we can uh, read it and discuss it today. Yeah, one of the few good pieces of journalism the LA Times did. You know, it, overall, uh, they're they're uh -huh. they're not the you know fuck the LA Times, but this was the <laughs> this was this was uh -huh. good. This was a good thing to publish. Why uh, why are we discussing this manifesto? Well, the face of public education is changing in America, and has been changing for quite some time. Every parent who moves from one part of town to another has schools on their mind. Which one is a good one? Which one is a bad one? Which one will teach my kid how to ruthlessly fire 25% of his employees if he wants to increase his quarterly gains? <laughs> yeah, these, it's important. These everyday questions are what make today's manifesto so important. And also, it's a bit near and dear to my heart. I, uh, I work in the world of uh, public education, and I live in Los Angeles, so uh, this is, uh, it, it directly has something to do with, with my life. Mm -hmm. And uh, since education is something that almost everyone living in a society has to go through, it's probably worth taking a look at a manifesto that wants to transform it for the, quote, better. It's worth educating ourselves about education. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Take a, take a little deep dive. Uh, so I'll confess, 
when we first started talking about this, uh, I don't know, I think this is actually a few months ago, I I realized that I managed to almost forget what a charter school was. Like, in the past, I knew, and then mm-hmm. it's... I think it struck me as kind of uh, arcane or boring or something, and I, uh, I just don't think about it a lot. But um, I also don't have kids and am not really, <laughs> you know, engaged in trying to figure out like where the good schools are on a daily basis. But like a charter school for anyone else who's similarly maybe forgotten or never knew is actually a public school. I mean, it's a publicly funded school. But it's like a publicly funded private school, a school that receives government funding, but it operates independently of like the established state-run school system, uh, even while it's located within that school system. So it's independent, like in the sense that it operates according to some like theoretical like principle of autonomy uh, as far as accountability goes. But it it's like freed from the general rules that the other schools are, are bound by. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's a little, it's a little, uh, it's an odd creature. Yeah. It's part of those sneaky little private public partnerships that, that we keep hearing about mm-hmm. in, in different forms. And it's another way of the government picking up the tab. If Johnny short Dick wants to open up his own school <laughs> and run it by his own rules. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just another way of the government getting involved with some guy named Johnny Short. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, like, this general idea, there is some appeal, I guess, you know, from, like, 30,000 feet up. If you look at it, there's this idea that you can have kind of a diversity of different approaches to schools and um and for example i remember in bloomington reporting on the opening of like a sort of what was basically a religious uh charter school so i mean Mm -hmm. truly a basically a private school i think it was some church was starting one in in ellettsville Mm. but you know it had a charter that was you know that there was some kind of basic philosophy and they had to dance around like being too religious but uh it was a different type of philosophy than you would get at your uh otherwise your average public school and so theoretically there's like some diversity to schools you can have different philosophies different programs fit different preferences different needs um there's also Again, theoretically, a lack of bureaucracy. This is like a classic libertarian talking point. There's a lot of bureaucracy within school systems and within government generally. So, you know, here you could say school providers maybe have some opportunities to... And I'm like just choking on these words because it's bullshit. But to (laughs) innovate, you know, in an unconstrained way. There are no governmental requirements that... Anyone who ever advocates this shit has never like uh, sat on uh, a line waiting for Spectrum to uh, change <laughs> their cable plan for three and a half fucking hours. Um, they don't know anything about bureaucracy, but and then also here's the other the other thing um, is that there's supposed to be competition. So mm. you have these kind of 
private public schools. They're all competing with one another. They've got uh, a diverse range of philosophies. They can maneuver in a way that public schools can't. The ideas are going to compete against one another and each get better and better. And just like capitalism generally, it's just going to keep making things great un- until they're so great we fucking can't handle it anymore. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit of insight on how charter schools make things better and how they get more competitive, Joe. This is a inside scoop from within the world of education. Mm-hmm. So in the LAUSD, if you're a teacher, you there's six periods in a day, six class periods, and you get one conference period to mm-hmm. you know, call parents set up lessons, grade papers, whatever you need to do. You get one period to do things Mm -hmm. other than instruction. Mm -hmm. Not in a charter school. A lot of charter (laughs) schools make you work all six periods. You Mm -hmm. know, part of that competitive spirit that they want (laughs) to engender in our our teachers and in our uh, public school system. Yeah, well, I think it's students get the best education if... uh, the teacher is working their ass off the whole day. Oh, of course. Yeah, always on the treadmill, always running. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how you get the best. And mm-hmm. as you said, this this might look good from far away, but as you get closer, there's more little dirty little sort of uh, secrets uh, hiding in, in charter schools. Hedge funds uh, profit from enormous tax breaks by investing in charter schools. So uh, the Huffington Post reports uh, the real estate industry, which already receives huge tax breaks as it gentrifies communities, also stands to benefit by promoting charter schools and helping them buy up property or rent in inner city communities. One real estate company, Eminent Properties Trust, boasts on its website, our investment portfolio is nearly $3 billion, and it includes megaplex movie theaters and adjacent retail, public charter schools, and other uh, uh, destination recreational and uh, specialty investments. This portfolio includes over 160 locations spread across 34 states with over 200 tenants. So uh, charter schools are indeed a big business. Yeah, I mean, a thing that I had also forgotten when we first started talking about this, I was like, how do you make money off of these things? And I, I mean... I think the answer is basically like the same way you can make money off of governments often only that uh, the these private organizations are able to run these schools any way they want to so they can for example like essentially rent to themselves yeah you know that somebody's got to actually own the building that the school is in somebody's got to actually sell the supplies to the school has to do all these other things i think the real estate is probably maybe the biggest and most lucrative Mm. part of this but you essentially become your own government contractor Mm. uh and these companies do invest in it and make a lot of money i saw one estimate that especially given certain kinds of tax breaks there are ways that investors can double their money in seven years 
which is, wow. I mean, pretty, pretty remarkable. Um, so Eli Brode is the guy behind the Brode Foundation, the sort of main dude. Um, he's businessman, philanthropist, quote unquote. Um, in June 2019, <laughs> uh, Forbes ranked him as the 233rd wealthiest person in the world, uh, 78th wealthiest in the United States, had $6.7 billion at that time. Doesn't have any money right now because he's dead, but um, <laughs> at the time, that's how much he had. Um, and, you know, according to Wikipedia, he was known for his philanthropic commitment to public K-12 education, scientific and medical research, and the visual and performing arts. So, he uh, a little bit of uh, uh, other information about this uh, uh, this guy. He uh, he and his foundation opened up. You know, they paid for basically a brand new art building for at UCLA at the University of California at Los Angeles, <laughs> and they opened up the Broad Museum uh, in downtown LA. That's part of the the whole philanthropic foundation <clears throat> oh shit that's we went there right oh yeah yeah it's i mean great art great <coughs> yeah, beautiful so, building but yeah but you know yeah it's a nice museum yeah thanks eli <laughs> <laughs> um so he i mean so this guy like any great billionaire um didn't uh he didn't start by trying to be a billionaire he he had to betray all of his principles to get there. Um, so his childhood, you know, he his father was a union organizer. Um, Eli himself was once in a union, um, you know, among the jobs he had in college, um, selling women's shoes, selling garbage disposals door to door, working as a drill press operator at, at uh, Packard Motor, where he was a member of United Auto Workers. Um, so, like... He didn't. I mean, he he learned other things. He came from a he, basically his whole life was provided by his father's union job, and then of course he grew up to uh, decide to fight against all of that and uh, managed to obtain quite a lot of money to to help in his efforts. Mm. And he he married uh, Edith Lawson. When he was 21, she was 18, and then that's the the name of the foundation is the Eli and Edith uh, Broad Foundation. So a little bit more uh, background on this foundation. The stated mission of the Edith of uh, the Eli and Edith, Bro- Edith Broad Foundation is uh, uh, education work. I- they they want to expand learning opportunities to students from underserved communities so they can reach their full potential. This their full is like, potential. Yes, this is like uh, the Big Lebowski, you know, the Little Lebowski <laughs> Urban Achievers. Basically, the same, it's the same idea. The foundation has made uh, $650 million worth in uh, uh, grants since it launched in 1999. And in 2001, uh, Broad founded the Broad Center, a nonprofit focused on developing school system leaders. In uh, 2010, uh, Eli and his wife signed on to 
the giving pledge, a commitment mm. for wealthy individuals to give at least half of their wealth to charity. What a generous motherfucker. Yeah, thank, thanks again, Eli. I appreciate it. <laughs> As an extension of the Broad Foundation, the Broad Center identifies, develops, and supports outstanding leaders who are inspired to work towards transforming public education into an engine of excellence and equity. The nonprofit uh, includes two highly selective professional development programs, the Broad Academy and the Broad Residency in Urban Education. Uh, the Broad Academy supports current and aspiring superintendents of urban public school districts, public charter school networks, and state departments of education as they work to grow their organization's effectiveness and increase their impact. And for those who don't know, the superintendent of a school district is basically the highest. It's like the CEO of the of the of the school district. They they are the highest ranking uh, person who 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 directs all the initiatives in a in a in a school district. Yeah, I mean, what I love about these descriptions because I I think these descriptions are coming from Wikipedia or from the Broad Foundation's website. I can't remember. But like, I mean, the it's like transforming public education into an engine of excellence and equity. Luckily, you can't define excellence, and equity is similarly debatable. I mean, it's pretty difficult to imagine that what they're really doing is is promoting equity. Um, any a definition that I could imagine. Um, but then you know, superintendents working to grow their organization's effectiveness, increase their impact. Like, all this shit's immeasurable. You can't really know if it's happening. Um, but then, as we'll discuss later, uh, what seems to occur in these spaces is you just figure out ways to find something to measure, and then you say, you just manipulate it until it looks like whatever your vision is is the right one. Mm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, um, it's it's like, um, and that's why they get tax breaks. You know, the the rich people's excuse is, hey, we are giving to schools, we are giving to education, just not your shitty public mm-hmm. schools. This is our version of a of a school. So, mm-hmm. uh, they it, it's all masked as uh, public service, but they don't take any uh, uh, sort of public institutions into account. They're not held accountable uh, they're not held i mean it's a charter school it's still you know under under the public school districts but they're not they they function more autonomously you know independent of the of the kind of oversight that that they would otherwise have yeah and and they essentially it, it, what it all adds up to is a non-democratic form of of just shaping the world you know who gets mm-hmm. to who gets to shape the educational institutions we we live in? Well, not the not anything that's public, not any institution or person that's publicly accountable. Yeah. Because because it's you know government's bad and private sector is good. And you know similarly, like who gets to decide what kind of public media we get to consume? Mm-hmm. Like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, right? Uh, and and it's all under this under the auspices of this being somehow like a way of wealthy people giving back to society. Uh, But I think kind of an important thing to remember is that actually 
like these foundations, the Broad Foundation, the Gates Foundation, uh, the Clinton Foundation, it, besides the fact that it gives these people, these already incredibly powerful people, even more influence over society through their ostensibly charitable uh, efforts to alter society, but also it really gives them another way to just continue to leech off of the rest of us via right. the tax system. I mean, the tax code allows wealthy people to escape taxation on a lot of their assets if they just find a way to uh, move them around. And oftentimes, one of those ways is to contribute to their own so-called charitable foundations. Um, just very quick uh, tax law uh, information, try to make use of the countless hours I spent sitting in a tax law class. Um, <laughs> but as well as I can understand, if you have somebody like Eli Brode, who's got, say, like a bunch of stock um, that he bought a long time ago, he bought it for 10000 bucks. now it's worth like $100,000. If he was going to sell that outright, he'd have to pay a whole bunch of taxes. He'd basically have to pay taxes on the $90,000 of, of capital gains, um, which would be like close to $20,000. Um, but the way to avoid that is you donate that stock to like their own skeezy foundations and then uh first of all then like eli takes a deduction on his own personal income taxes saves himself like 40 grand and then the foundation sells the stock doesn't have to pay their capital gains taxes and then the foundation just going to spend that money however eli or bill gates or bill clinton or whatever wants um and oftentimes that's going to mean like hiring the billionaire's shitty kids do some work they're really not qualified to do, um, or investing in God knows what kind of companies uh, that are going to ultimately benefit the the billionaire, or just again, you know, basically helping them further impose their ideological visions on all the rest of us, and much like the Broads are doing in this particular you said case. You couldn't go with me to the senior dance. But later on you showed up with your brand new romance How could you treat me so cruel? Oh, it's the talk of the school Talk of the school A lot of talking, a lot, a lot of Hearing talking, everybody's talking Bum, bum, bum think about like what we know about this dude Eli Brode I mean we're not doing a comprehensive review of his background but uh he's basically ultra rich dude made a lot of money doing all kinds of sketchy real estate and stuff you know like what kind of model human being you re really think he's trying to produce and reproduce like what what does he really want when he says we need better public education mm. like I mean, I, I think it's worth, this to me is oftentimes the fundamental question in a lot of these education 
yeah debates like what who are you what are you trying to produce what kind of person are you trying to make i think they're trying to produce little entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. you know uh, everyone is their own brand uh uh you know you're either an influencer or a business owner or something along those lines like you yourself your identity becomes your business uh, uh, the way you make money is who you are, and it's everything. All your best hours of the day are spent making money. That's what they want. Little entrepreneurs running around, starting their own businesses. And this is something else. When you go to business school, I don't know if this is like, they somehow proudly say this. Something like, 90% of businesses fail, you know? And <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and, that, and, 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 the, and the sort of like, the, the good way of looking at that is like the cream rises to the top. We're going to get back to cream uh, a little later <laughs> on in this, in this podcast. Keep listening. Uh, but, um, but the cream <laughs> arguably rises to the top. All the crappy businesses fail and the best uh-huh. businesses uh, uh, make it. So uh, they want a bunch of entrepreneurs and they want 90% of those people to fail and then feel like failures and then try again and fail mm-hmm. again and keep failing until they open up a McDonald's that makes money or some shit. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 a, it's an awful, awful world to live in, it seems to me, where you're always grinding, you're always trying to chase that bread and and it's never enough it's uh, uh and the, and and the people who who make the most are uh, become the most conniving and backstabbing just like Eli Broad you know like he did with his union roots become the most conniving mm-hmm. self-serving backstabbing cuz that's what that's what the system encourages this isn't a moral condemnation on any one entrepreneur or another it's not even their fault it's a systemic issue it's the the uh, capitalism makes you do this because if you don't you'll fucking drown you know Mm -hmm. and they and they don't want any other way of living but that well here uh here's my take maybe you're being too optimistic Uh, (laughs) because isn't it possible i mean yeah okay they, they you want some people to be engineers but don't you kind of doesn't it seem like there's also an intense drive to just create a lot of people who are reasonably competent to continue the uh, sort of basic work of these companies? I mean, you need people who are going to be, yeah, maybe they're a little entrepreneurial, but they're like software engineers or people to do uh, any number of like jobs that... Uh, I'm sure you and I have both done like jobs that are just kind of like you're just kind of keeping the machinery moving. Well, as know? I said, Joe, most businesses fail, so there'll be uh-huh. no shortage of people willing to do something other than entrepreneurial activity. It's just that entrepreneurs are the is the best type of human being. Everyone else is a is a fucking chump, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true. Everybody's a chump. <laughs> yeah no debating that that's uh that's actually my uh that, that's my thesis about this whole thing everybody's a chump uh even eli brode <laughs> yeah well especially him but also us too we're chumps mm. uh, okay so let's get to the the manifesto itself this thing is uh i can't even remember what like 40 or 50 pages long 
Somebody put it together. I don't think we even actually know who really like wrote this. It was probably a collective effort. Seems like it was distributed like within the Broad Foundation, but also it was used to be distributed to like a lot of other potential participants in this big plan that they were developing. Yeah, and and as far as like you can tell it wasn't written by one person because it's like of all the manifestos we've read, it's the most dry read you know what i mean Mm -hmm. there's no compared to the pal memo there's no um there's no rhetorical flair there's no argumentation really it's just a bunch of uh uh, a bunch of twisting of statistics and information in 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 strange ways to try to uh uh, move a, a a political agenda forward yeah and i mean maybe really speaks to how things aren't getting better because at least when uh, when Lewis Powell had wrote the the Powell memo with the intention of kind of reshaping businesses' relationship to government, he had a little added a little bit of flair. You know, there was there was some uh, not a lot, but there was a little bit of of interesting turn of phrase. Not so much here. This is yeah. the, this could have just been created by an AI thing, mm. um, but. Now that we've psyched you up for this, we're, let's read some from this brilliant piece of writing. Um, f- first line, <laughs> first line from the mana, the manifesto or the the Broad memo. Across the United States, too many students lack access to the educational opportunities they need to succeed in the 21st century. No city exemplifies this challenge more than Los Angeles. State assessment data, graduation rates and college readiness indicators all point toward an education system that does not equip students with the skills and knowledge they need to thrive. Hmm. Inspirational. Very. Um, All the buzzwords there, you know, um, start out, they suggest, you know, data. Data is important. Data tells us how schools are supporting or are performing. Uh, You know, students need to thrive. Again, like... Whatever the hell that means. Yeah, college readiness. They're not ready to go join a frat and get drunk off their ass and, and pass out on the on the mm-hmm. couch. You know, not enough <laughs> students are college ready, Joe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's important to get you ready for that. I sort of wish I was more ready for that when I did that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, okay, so, like, you know, what's it really mean, though, for a school to succeed you know we talk about education i mean we we're kind of mentioned this earlier but like is there i mean do you think there's really any common understanding setting aside our mm. like sort of uh cynicism about it is there even like among the population any kind of mutual understanding about what it would actually mean to successfully educate students or are we just pretty much like stuck with this uh- uh, test score thing. I I th- test scores, but then the other question. Well, what are who gives a shit about test scores? What are they supposed to get you? What are they supposed to say? I think ultimately, it if if you if you were to probe a lot of parents, and and this and there and this is not the only way to look. Probe at the per- a lot of parents. <laughs> if you're to question a lot of parents, if you were to, what would happen if you probed a lot of parents? Anyway. <laughs> You, uh, they would, they would say, I think something along the lines of, you know, my kid ends up with a good job, doctor, mm-hmm. lawyer, engineer, business owner, 
That's it. Something like that. I don't know. Like it's mm-hmm. it's like your vocation is what validates your education, the worth of your education. I think generally that's how people think of it. That's not that you know, that's not the only way to look at an education, the purpose and quality of an education, but I think if you ask most people, uh, uh that's where you'd end up, I would assume. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it also kind of means that as things become more stratified and and as it becomes more di- more and more difficult for people to get into positions where they feel like they've really succeeded meaningfully, mm. kind of also suggests the education system is just like predestined to fail because society, if that's how you measure success, society's creating fewer and fewer opportunities for that success. Uh, just learn to code, Joe. I mean, uh, <laughs> what do you want? What do you want from me? You want Teach those just... miners to code. I know. <laughs> Teach them. <laughs> yeah. Teach them to code. Um, okay, so let's talk about what this plan is. the 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 reason why this is such a big deal and why it was such a uh, coup for the L.A. Times to access this memo and publish it, and and why we're still talking about it. Uh, a while later, again, this was from 2015, is the plan is to spend $490 million, uh, you know, in order to essentially explode the number of charter schools in Los Angeles. Uh, So this is from the memo itself. Um, The effort would be structured over an eight-year period uh, from 2016 to 2023, with the following objectives to create 260 new high quality charter schools to generate 130,000 high quality charter seats and to reach a 50% uh, charter market share. Again, this could have been written by AI. What that means as best as I understand is what they're trying to do is spend half a billion dollars to make half of the Los Angeles schools charter schools uh and i mean we'll we'll get into how they're gonna pay for that but um it's a a massive project and again this is not a thing that was like democratically decided they're doing this shit in secret and talking about their plan to make this happen um they say in order to achieve these goals this initiative will need to accelerate charter schools existing growth plans by providing financial capital and addressing three major growth barriers facilities talent and the political climate so like you know propaganda and shit los angeles charter schools are currently on a trajectory to create around 62,000 seats again they want to do 130,000 currently on a trajectory to 62,000 and then they're going to invest all this money uh to create more but it's a a, a massive project they've they've got together and and they're and they're uh you know they wanted to open 260 charter schools by 2023 they're ahead of schedule currently there's 277 charter schools in the los angeles school district yeah that's wild so um they have a name for their for their little plan it's called the great public schools now initiative or great public schools now because joe who'd be against great public schools <laughs> i want great yeah. public schools you want great public schools what's the problem right yeah, i know 
These, uh, whoever came up with that name was probably educated in a public school, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and uh, the Great Public Schools Now initiative is a bold, multi-year strategy to meet growing demand for high-quality charters in Los Angeles and ensure that every student can access an excellent public school. Now, here's the thing with, um, with if you're going to move, you know, to privatize the public school system... Yeah, it's free to students now, but once you get enough charters in there, once you've let's say made seventy percent of the of the public school this charter school, you know how hard is it to imagine these charter schools breaking away from any sort of like public oversight at all and just um, doing whatever the fuck they want, you know, and and not letting kids join, they just become like a regular private school that 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 picks and chooses who gets to go to its uh, uh to its classrooms so th- this well, i is... mean what why else would they be so obsessed with the 50 percent number why do they pick 50 percent right. it's like why do you try to get 51 percent of a company so that you can right. control the company i mean right. i don't you know i don't, I don't know we, we didn't get that part of the manifesto they didn't put that in there but, no like, no that this is just me yeah. Thinking like a, a a great public schools now initiative uh. <laughs> stooge. Yeah, you're you know? here. This is what you would do if you were uh, so, if you were so, using your own education to advance their goals. Uh, uh, so parents, you know, you're not paying for charter schools now. Get ready, down. You know, your kids' kids, uh, they're gonna be fucking paying mm-hmm. for it if if this thing continues to succeed. Yeah. So uh, here's what they say that this uh, Great Public Schools Now group is going to do. In order to accomplish this mission, Great Public Schools Now will work to, one, create and replicate a large number of high-performing public charter schools in Los Angeles. Two, develop the pathways and supports needed to increase the city's supply of excellent teachers and outstanding school leaders. There's that language again, school Mm -hmm. leaders. Uh, Mm -hmm. And three... Build popular and political support for the transformation of K through 12 education. A number of outstanding national and local organizations and entrepreneurs are already working in Los Angeles to accomplish these goals. Our city's highest performing charter school operators are prepared to serve many more students and families. So they're really chomping at the bits to to mm-hmm. uh, to get more of these things open a dedicated pool of philanthropic capital will enable charter schools their partner organizations and advocates to work together to transform education in Los Angeles so this philanthropic capital also make it sa- makes it sound like they're you know these guys are just you know that's all rich people want to do joe they want to give their money away that's that's just that's, that's that's what they do with their money they just give it away i remember mm-hmm. i was a little kid when Bill Gates stepped down uh, from Microsoft, and he said he was going to just open up the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and give his money away. But this fucker, he just can't seem to do it. He's like, he's been giving his money away since I was a kid, and he's still the second richest person or third richest person in the world. He just, uh, Why are they so bad at giving money away, Joe. It's almost mm-hmm. like it's a big fucking scam. But <laughs> no, that can't be it. That can't be it. Yeah, I, I meant to 
go back and read, I can't remember if it was a ProPublica piece or, or somebody, somebody did like a pretty deep dive on the Bill Gates situation uh, in the past couple of years about like why it is that he claims he's giving all his money away, but actually just keeps getting more and more and more money. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, of course, what he's doing is that the, the foundation just spends money in a way that just keeps making him more and more and more money. Uh, big, uh, big surprise. Um, <laughs> so premise of this whole memo, um, is that, that there's like something special about this moment in 2015 in Los Angeles. They say there's, it's a historic opportunity to expand the charter sector in Los Angeles. Uh, the opportunity is ripe for a significant expansion of high quality charter schools in LA thanks to the strength of its charter leaders and teachers, as well as its widespread civic and philanthropic support, Los Angeles is uniquely positioned to create the largest, highest performing charter sector in the nation. Uh, such an exemplar would serve as a model for all large cities to follow, which is crucial. What they're trying to do is make LA an example, like a test case for this sort of radical expansion mm. for charter schools as like a replacement um, for public schools, which are at least theoretically supposed to be somewhat democratic. Um, I thought as I was reading this, what's interesting is that there's already been this kind of experiment um, in New Orleans uh, and the story of like how that experiment came to be like to me seems like kind of demonstrative of the sort of thinking that's at work in this uh, memo. Um, and I recall reading about it in this book, uh, the shock doctrine by Naomi Klein. This is the part of the podcast where I brag about having read a book. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I remember reading about this at the time and thinking it was kind of crazy. I don't know, maybe that's 2008 or 2009. I don't remember when her uh, book came out. Um, but she pointed out in that book, went back and looked at it recently that like, uh, this was actually a recommendation by Milton Friedman. Um, so basically turning New Orleans public school system into an almost like 100% charter school situation was the final major public policy recommendation of, of Milton Friedman. Um, probably friend of the show, Milton Friedman. Yeah. <laughs> friend of the show, the ghost of Milton Friedman. Um, Friedman being probably the most, you know, famous economist, uh, associated with Chicago school of economics, uh, which is sort of responsible and at least, I don't know, philosophically or whatever for a lot of the spread of neoliberalism, uh, around the world. I think it's also called like the ne like neoclassical school of economics. Mm. Um, so Friedman is 93. This is 2005. Friedman's in bad health. Um, Hurricane Katrina had just destroyed, obviously, a huge part of New Orleans. And Friedman, classic case of his sort of empathy, uh, wrote an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal and he said, quote, most New Orleans schools are in ruins, as are the homes of the children who have attended them. The children are now scattered all over the country. This is a tragedy. It is also an opportunity to radically reform the <laughs> educational system. <laughs> it's like, 
that's I mean you have all these people suffering and Milton Friedman Milton Friedman's suffering himself he's about to die but he's got to get one more in you know we can yeah. we can continue my little experiment that's like by the way not really been working terribly well like in all the other places you keep fucking up uh, but we're gonna try it in the in New Orleans in the school system there yeah um so this is what Klein wrote about that. Friedman's radical idea was that instead of spending a portion of the billions of dollars in reconstruction money on rebuilding and improving New Orleans' existing public school system, the government should provide families with vouchers, which they would spend at private institutions, many run at a profit, that would be subsidized by the state. Um, I think the fact yeah, that... Yeah, this, this harkens back to Milton Friedman's you know, famous line of argument where the government shouldn't tell you how to spend your money you know mm-hmm. it's like yeah like as if parents know what the fuck a school system is about like mm-hmm. as if they have the information necessary to make a a well-informed decision about what's a good sc- it's so stupid like anyway sorry I didn't... yeah no no i mean i think What's kind of important to remember is that this is not just like Milton Friedman. You have all these like right wing think tanks at the time who are uh, seizing on this, you know, and she, uh, Naomi Klein notes that as well. You know, you have, they basically seized on this proposal and the George Bush administration spent tens of millions of dollars on this project to convert New Orleans schools into charter schools. Um, you know, basically. You know, it also she kind of contrasts the way that uh, it took forever to get the levees repaired, to get the electricity grid brought back online. Uh, But when it came to like auctioning off the New Orleans school system, they just did that like with military speed and precision. (laughs) Uh, Like within 19 months, with most of the city's poor residents still in exile, New Orleans public school system had been almost completely replaced by privately run charter schools. Before, here's like the stats, before Hurricane Katrina, the school board had run 123 public schools. After this, you know, Milton Friedman experiment, there were four public schools left. God damn. Um, Before the storm, there'd only been seven charter schools. After the storm, 31. Uh, So... New Orleans teachers used to be represented by a union that was pretty strong. Now the union contract was shredded. It's 4,700 members had all been fired. Um, Some of the young teachers were rehired by the charters, but mostly at reduced salaries and many were not rehired. So that, I mean, this is like the, the brutalism of the fucking Bush administration. That's like, uh, uh really bringing me back um but also i mean like this is the way that they decided to kind of let's do a little experiment in new orleans which i mean it like that's what i started thinking about when we read about this experiment in la it's like oh there already was one of these things they already yeah. did they already only only there wasn't like a uh a hurricane to seize on in la so they're gonna try to do it elsewhere a different way yeah i could just see the people who want charter schools just like praying to their evil gods for an earthquake to strike la and, and uh-huh. <laughs> crack open the ground uh, so uh, so they can open mm-hmm. up charter schools the new york times called new orleans the nation's preeminent laboratory for the widespread use of charter schools while the american enterprise institute 
uh, a Friedmanite neoliberal think tank, wrote that Katrina accomplished in a day what Louisiana school reformers couldn't do after years of trying. So, um, yeah, disaster capitalism at its best. experiment turn out? An in-depth academic study by researchers with the Stanford Center for Opportunity, Policy, and Education found that the graduation rates fell after the charter school takeover and are continuing to fall even further as time goes on. The study also pointed to an increase in juvenile crime during the same period. Well, no shit, they're not going to school. What else are they going to do? Which appears to be linked to the regime of school closings and student exclusion allowed by the charter system. That's an important way that charter schools operate. In order to look good, in order to show uh, parents that, look, we have a 99% graduation rate. 80% of our students go to the University of California. You know, this many students go to the Ivy Leagues. How do they get those numbers? They don't allow a lot of students to come into the school, you Mm -hmm. know? So uh, in order to raise their overall school scores, high-performing schools push low-performing students either to other schools or out of the school system altogether. This is the, you know, charter school system at work. Yeah. And I mean, I I think what's worth saying is that if you look at that study that seems to be have been done in good faith, um, like the Stanford Center for Opportunity Policy and Education, as best I could tell, is not like just some hack. Uh, Like there are all these stats and ways of measuring success. Um, As best I could tell, if you look at most of them, it certainly does not look like a major victory for the uh, for the charter school system, uh, which perhaps is why the Broad Foundation's looking for like let's try another spot and see if we can get something. <laughs> it's like it's working better. We'll do it again and do it yeah. better. Yeah. But you can like I mean I'm sure that if I really wanted to I could go through it and cherry pick uh, statistics and figure out a way to present it. As right. though it looked like it was working, because there's so many different ways to measure uh, what what's happening, and there's really no way to control for most of the variables. It's like a just like a mess. It seems trying to figure out how to how to measure uh, any of this. But regardless, uh, earlier this year there was a Louisiana state senator uh, who wrote a letter urging major changes. Um, his name is Joe Bowie. Um, the letter stated that a staggering 73% of our children are not functioning at grade level compared to 63% in 2005 when the state took control over 100 of our schools. Um, our schools, and by 2005 would be when they took control and turned them into charter schools. Um, our schools are highly stratified by race, 
class and educational advantage, operating very different types of schools to different types of children. School closure is the primary tool for addressing school quality, causing students to lose achievement when closing schools displace them. I mean, so that's like a another element of this entire project, and that's that like if if a school's not working, what you do is you shut it down. Um, it's like yeah. Uh, what 90% of businesses fail. Well, a lot of those schools fail too. Mm. And when you close down schools in uh, in a city, like what happens? It like radically changes. It affects the area. Yeah, and uh, beyond the numbers and statistics, beyond what's purely functional and utilitarian, there's, there's ideology behind this. You know, privatize uh, uh, at all costs. Uh, you have to ask yourself, what kind of society do you want to live in? The kind where education is doled out unequally, and those who can afford the best get the best? One in which a school is run like a business, and the quality of life of its teachers and students comes second or third as a thing worth focusing on when compared to test scores and achievement benchmarks? Eli Broad said yes to these questions, <laughs> and so we have the Broad memo. <laughs> yeah, that's why we've got an episode to do today. That's yes, nice. thank again, <laughs> thanks, Eli. I appreciate it. And there's a correlation between charters and test uh, uh, scores. By that's the way, what they, that's what they claim. That's what they claim. That's right. The, uh, in the uh, in the Broad memo, that's what they claim. Sorry, I should have I should have prefaced it with that. Thank you, Joe. That there's a correlation between uh, uh, charter schools and test scores. Quote, there is a positive association between the number of charter schools in the LAUSD and graduation and API scores. This trend is reflected in other cities across the country. In March 2014, the Center for Research on Education Outcomes, Credo, at Stanford University, published the results of a study evaluating the impact of Washington, D.C.'s growing charter sector on the performance of school districts. Notice they didn't look at Louisiana and New Orleans. They went to D.C. <laughs> to get their numbers. Mm -hmm. Credo concluded that competition from charter schools with higher-than-average quality is associated with increased growth in both math and reading at traditional Washington, D.C. public schools. Yeah, I mean, so the, I, like the suggestion is just that there's sort of this magical free market thing happening. You know, somehow, like the existence of charter schools uh, just like magically makes everything better. I guess it's theoretically that there's competition going on. And I mean, it seems to me that the underlying assumption of all this shit is that well competition is just good and it always works so if you can just bring about more competition obviously every good thing that happens you can attribute to that competition um, but you never have to really uh, question whether perhaps actually competition makes things worse um, because I guess uh, critical thinking was not part of uh, their <laughs> education. I don't know. Anyway, that's stupid to say. Um, so, Credo, they say this, Credo, which is this organization we're going to talk about in just a second. Credo has recognized Los Angeles as one of the strongest public charter school sectors in the nation. 
uh, in comparison to traditional public schools in the city, LA charters perform significantly better in both reading and math. And then they, they have graphics, like a lot of this uh, manifesto is just graphics. It's just like uh, charts, most of which have like, they're like tracking like one or two variables and trying to like compare them and suggest that there's like that the correlation means something. It's uh, a lot of it's like pretty stupid. So if you're wondering uh, who Credo is, here's what Credo says about themselves on their own website. It's the Stanford Center for Research on Education, and it thrives to provide education policymakers with reliable, empirical evidence about student achievement at the primary and secondary levels. Credo this, accomplishes this goal by means of rigorous research and program evaluation. Rigorous research. Oh, yeah. They're up all night. It's, I mean, they... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Greasing the gears, you know. Uh -huh. uh, Credo, uh, just like a little more background, is within the Stanford's Hoover Institute, the mm. director of which is currently... Guess who? Condoleezza <laughs> Rice. Back to the Bush administration. Yeah. Also, like fuckers just, never die. Yeah, seriously. Just so you know, one of the foundations that funds the Hoover Institute is the Walton Foundation. You know, <laughs> the people who own Walmart, the Walton family. A foundation that the Broad Memo actually points out had given $65 million to charter schools. As Valerie Strauss at the Washington Post, a, a great reporter on charter schools, go check out mm -hmm. some of her articles. She's written... Uh, if you can uh, get past the paywall. <laughs> yeah, or, or if you subscribe to, to the Washington mm -hmm. Post. Oh, she's yeah, one of the subscriber. One of the, one of the reporters who's actually doing good reporting on there. She says that, quote, the Hoover Institution is a conservative think tank that is squarely pro-charter and a believer in using market forces to reform the U.S. educational system. So that's credo for you, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, empirical research is what they do, obviously. Yeah, well, Walmart and Condoleezza Rice. So. Yeah, I mean, what else do you need to know? <laughs> Here at Club Manifesto, we aim to deliver the truth to our listeners about how the world works. But here's a little more about Credo and charter schools from our good friend Valerie Strauss. A Hoover economist, she writes, was a pioneer in creating systems that evaluate teachers by student standardized tests, a method that many assessment experts say should not be used in the high-stakes way that school reformers are using them. So, uh, uh, the better your students score, the more you're rewarded as a teacher. Because, you know, students are not human. They're little automatons. And if, and if they're not working well, well, it must be that you're not working well as a mm -hmm. teacher. You know what I mean? It's this uh, uh, awful, stupid way of of uh, 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 measuring performance in a in a class, and and yeah. of course, like human learning, doesn't function in this input output way that 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 credo or other people are imagining. 
You have to be allowed to constantly fail in order to learn. Just think of if you're if, if a baby is learning language and every time it gets a word wrong, you know, it, instead of saying father, it says dada. You go, you stupid fucking kid. That's not how you say. <laughs> that's not how you say father. You idiot. You know, yeah. like uh, uh, like that's you have to be in an environment. I mean, it's just so fundamentally not how people learn is what. Well, I'm and also, at. like, I mean, you could stay, you could say, "You stupid fucker." You, that's not how you say it. But if you attribute every dada to a <laughs> failure of your ability to teach the kid, then, like, what are you gonna do? I mean, what what's the? Right. Yeah, obviously, education is about trying and failing, and there there is like, I think it's. Uh, good how uh valerie strauss who is a really a really good reporter um i mean she points out this is a high stakes game that they're playing with these statistics you know i mean and statistics and and data is is just so easily manipulable it's so confusing it's so difficult to tell what it means you know i mean if you're going to look at the data about club manifesto You'd believe that there are like about 800 people in India who are listening to this episode right now. <laughs> that's of course there are. Oh yeah, and of, of course there must be, you know, because that's what the that's what the data says. Um, <laughs> Please yeah, I mean, email us, one of our dear Indian fans, <laughs> if, if you are human and you are out there. Email us uh-huh. at clubmanifesto420 at gmail.com. Oh, yeah. Clubmanifesto420 at gmail.com. <laughs> um, okay, so, I mean, there, there's a business writer, uh, his name is uh, Andrew Gaber, who's, who wrote that uh, credo studies uh, that compare charter schools with public schools tend to start with two key assumptions. Uh, the first, of course, is that standardized test scores are actually an adequate measure of school quality, then the second is that creaming in charter schools uh, does not exist. And uh, creaming, mm. creaming, as we said, we were mm. going to discuss. <laughs> yeah, creaming here means that charter schools take the cream of the crop as far Ooh, as uh, students they do. are concerned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, I will say in the sort of anti-charter school uh, journalistic uh, space. There's a lot of use of the word creaming. <laughs> I, I won't know that I would advise if you're trying to get yourself taken seriously. Anyway, but they also push out low-performing students from their rosters in order to improve the school's overall test scores. So we mentioned that earlier. Um, and there's kind of another sort of important cre- uh, criticism of how this this organization, which again is like depended on very strongly by this Broad memo, which is being used to advocate for uh, half billion dollar massive transformation to a public school system affecting uh, many, many children. Uh, the consistently small effect sizes have been pumped up by an unvalidated conversion into quote days of learning. Uh, which mm. has never been properly justified by the authors. That's coming from a guy named Mark Weber. He's a professor at, at Rutgers University who's, who's looked into a little bit of this. Yeah, the Brown memo makes a lot of hay about, quote, days of learning as a, as a measuring, uh, 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 as a way of measuring something when talking about 
how much better charter schools are when compared to public schools. They say, quote, Los Angeles charters perform significantly better in both reading and math. This performance has resulted in charter school students receiving more learning time compared to their traditional public school peers. On average, Los Angeles charters deliver 79 more days of learning in math and 50 more days of learning in reading than do traditional LAUSD public schools. So, uh, you know... I don't know about you, Joe, but, you know, there have been plenty of days I, as a student, sat in class <laughs> and didn't learn shit because I wasn't yeah. really paying attention. And, you know, being on the on the teaching end of this, too, I see students just sitting in class days on end, just, you know, <laughs> fucking around on their phones, playing Minecraft on their computers and, and they figure out a way to get around, you know, the firewall uh, that the school mm-hmm. set up. They're very clever. You know, I can't I mean, get around the Washington I mean, Post. They're learning firewall. something, obviously. They, that's true. They are. It's not reading and math, though. That's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> they're learning yeah. how to get around the firewall. It's a certain kind of problem solving that I'm sure will come in handy. But, yeah, it's like Indeed. somehow just like if you just spend more days of learning. Uh, yeah. That sounds like... Honestly, it sounds miserable. Days of learning. Yeah, it's like, days it's of like learning. saying a longer prison sentence makes you a yeah. better person. You yeah. know? <laughs> According to the Broad Memo, far more charter students are ready for college when compared to traditional public schools. Here's a quote from, uh, uh, from the memo. In 2014, CCSA released a report documenting strong college readiness outcomes for students in public charter schools, particularly for historically disadvantaged student groups. The report noted that 76% of students in charter schools completed the University of California's A through G requirements as compared with 18% in traditional schools. What the Broad Memo leaves out, however, is this process of creaming mm, (laughs) that we talked about a little earlier you know 76 percent of students i'm gonna i'm I'm gonna accent your the the volume of that mm, you just did please do (laughs) make an echo too (laughs) and um the uh uh you know that's that's behind that's what's happening behind the scenes uh, uh, that's how they're getting these, these higher, um, these higher, uh, uh, A through G requirements as compared to, uh, traditional schools. Thomas, uh, Ultican writes, uh, he's, uh, he's a reporter. There is no doubt that most charter schools push out and avoid students that are classified as special education, language learners, or students with discipline problems so if you're a recent immigrant or you know uh uh, you did a little naughty stuff in in middle school you know you're you're out you know and Mm -hmm. and just like with uh new orleans where are you gonna go uh um chances are you'll you'll keep up the bad behavior end up in jail juvenile hall something mm-hmm. uh, uh something akin to that so um but all that matters is that the charter schools have achieved their Cal- university of california a through g requirements that's the important mm-hmm. thing what happens yeah. outside the charter schools is everyone else's problem today i know my mind i
movement beneath here And I can see for miles and miles My destination's clear Now I can see my life Unfolding before me And so I will start my trip In search of love Today I know my mind, I have a And if uh, days of learning wasn't a fishy enough uh, a phrase for you, a, a weird way of measuring student achievement, uh, uh, let's go on to enrollment in, in, in charter schools. On page 25 of the Broad Memo, there's two very strange statistics that are compared to each other. The number of teachers who are part of the Los Angeles Unified School Districts Union, the UTLA, United Teachers of Los Angeles, so it compares the number of UTLA members to the number of parents who have their kids on a wait list for charter schools. And the number of parents whose kids are on a wait list is going up, and the number of UTLA members is going down. And these two things are compared. And mm -hmm. um, and it's supposed to show a falling interest in traditional public schools and a rising interest in charter schools, even though what do unionized teachers and parents have to do with each other? And, mm -hmm. and, and, of, and of course, you know, this, this falling membership of unionized teachers can be attributed to the growing charter school system. When you get into charter schools, you don't have to join the union. Uh, uh, so yeah, no shit, the number of union members is falling. It's because charter schools are growing and you don't have to be part of a union if you're in a charter school. Yeah, I mean, also these graphs are just like unbelievably dumb. Uh, I mean, it, almost like to the point of like, you wonder why they even include them in, the, in this thing, because it's not... It's only so much for public consumption, but I actually saw like there was a a blog somewhere that pointed, you know, it was just like noting that if you put two variables on a graph, you can show that like the price, it's like the price of mangoes has <laughs> increased and decreased like in a, in a way that suggests a cor uh, correlation with like you know, interest in the Democratic Party or whatever. I mean, there's like no, this is, it's, it's stupid. This is so blatantly nonsensical, though. Parent interest compared to union membership. It's like, it really mm -hmm. is comparing mangoes to like shoe sales. Like what the mm -hmm. fuck, what the fuck do they have to do with each other, really? And um, on top of that, uh, um, as charter schools grow, there's another insidious uh, uh, sort of addition to, to school budgets. According to the blog Creative uh, Web, WebWorks, Inc., charter school funding varies by state, and private learning institutions determine their own tuition. However, if you were a charter school in California, you might have around $5,000 each month to run your marketing program. Marketing. Mm -hmm. Right. Remember, this is the free market. And in order to get people to come to your school, you got to advertise it. So mm -hmm. take money away from teacher pay, take money away from textbooks, take money away from all of that and put $5,000 each month into advertising your school just to sucker. I mean, convince uh, uh, parents to come 
to your shitty ass little school. Yeah, I mean, because the, I mean, if you think of what the goal of education is, it's to convey things that we can all sort of kind of maybe come together and agree are like sort of true. And we try to convey those things to people. But instead, you spend your money on advertising doing precisely the opposite, doing yes. exactly the opposite of that. Uh, what a gr- I mean, yeah, I always think it's funny when people like study, study advertising. It's like a study. There was, anyway. there was a school that, that, that I actually interviewed at that uh, uh, wasn't a charter school. Uh, but mm-hmm. they also mentioned to me that they have a marketing program. This school was in one of the poorest neighborhoods in L.A. They had a marketing program because they needed to compete with charter schools. Because mm-hmm. you see, according to Milton Friedman and, and the Chicago school, competition equals success. And this is one thing that competition leads to. Public schools also needing a marketing program. Because their charter friends down the road have a marketing program. And mm-hmm. so both schools are wasting money on advertising to parents uh, uh, who are, you know, supposed to make informed decisions. And, 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 and they're just, you know, just like all advertising, it adds to confusion. It doesn't add to more information. Well, it sounds a lot like less like a waste of money if uh, your company is able to make money off of it. That's you know? true. I mean, are you... You're like a cousin's brother's uh, thing. I guess your cousin's brother is probably still your cousin, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, if, uh, <laughs> if one of those guys has a has a business, uh, you know, selling soap. Uh, so you know, there also there are various kinds of marketing. You know, because you can there's the sort of more traditional kind, but there's also basically large scale propaganda campaigns, which is uh, sort of what's next here in the Broad memo because they they do identify a need for some persuasion uh, in order to bring about their half billion dollar plan which I mean it's kind of interesting they're so rich they're so like seemingly well organized um, they've got basically uh, their their money is going to bring them every political advantage they need but they still, are seeking to try to convince at least like some people, some like average citizens, that this is the right thing to do. Uh, and what they say under a heading called uh, organizing and advocacy, uh, creating a more supportive policy environment for charters will be critically important. More supportive policy environment is like that's a that's a um, phrase that came right out of a, a marketing department probably. Um, but that will be critically important to achieve the levels of growth and quality envisioned in this initiative. As policy issues emerge at the state and local levels, it will be important to ensure that resources are in place to protect and fight for the conditions on the ground that help charters thrive. Um, as I'm reading this, what I'm realizing, that one thing that makes this document suck is that, like... <laughs> just is one that, thing? Yeah, just, but, like... <laughs> What's been so good about a lot of the manifestos that we've read is that they don't sound like even if they're saying dumb shit, they don't sound like they're being dishonest. They don't mm. sound like they're mm-hmm. uh, kind of manipulating their language to make it palatable to mm-hmm. some board of directors somewhere. And that's like exactly what this is. Right. You know, I mean, it is a manifesto in that they're, you know, trying to reshape 
you know, the world or at least a little chunk of it. And they're putting forward a big plan here. But man, like the way they wrote this is so frustrating. Mm. Um, they say, fortunately, the efforts to, to, uh, to date in creating the nation's largest charter sector had the support of tens of thousands of families who have successfully fought, successfully sought higher quality educational opportunities for their children. And there's a very strong potential army of supporters already on the ground waiting to be fully organized and mobilized to support the growth of charter schools in Los Angeles. Um, but there's still a need for an advocacy effort, blah, 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 blah. Um, so over eight years, the memo is saying, let's spend $21 million on what they're calling organizing and advocacy. Um, so, you know, probably not, probably not your garden variety paid protesters here. You're going to have to spend <laughs> a few million bucks. Um, obviously, this is a massive PR campaign. I also think it's funny. They just like uh, mention uh, Mike Bloomberg's daughter by name. They don't like mention. Mm. They don't mention that she's Mike Bloomberg's daughter, but they say m- something called murmuration, which I did. Uh, Murmuration, Emma Bloomberg's new data analytics organization, is also beginning to contribute to these organizing efforts. Murmuration, man, what a murmuration, okay. what a yeah. Word. yeah. Uh, so, and the strategy also includes the United Way of Greater Los Angeles with its strong community engagement and earned media efforts. Blah. I mean, yeah, there, there you go again with like the philanthropy like the united way of los angeles is helping with all of this while they're supposed to be like helping people like find places to live and stuff to eat they're also trying to undermine the public school system um help with their propaganda efforts all right now that we're we've gotten all the major points of the manifesto on to what another you've all been waiting for yes this is the moment you've all been waiting for <laughs> uh, you thought it wasn't gonna happen it's Ooh, gonna happen it's happening it's happening <laughs> folks another edition of dumbasses advocate <laughs> all right okay joe okay this is America. We're gonna, we're gonna get this one right, by the way. I'm pretty, yes. pretty sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We are. I'm advocating <laughs> for the right dumbass. All right. This is America, right? We're in America, and America is all about choices. What's wrong with choice? I want to choose between things, don't you? What's wrong with giving parents a choice where to send their kids to school? By the way, I'm not sure I do want to choose between things, but let's go ahead. (laughs) Many parents would love to send their kids to private school, but they just can't afford it. Doesn't this just give the private school option? And it's an option. No one's holding (laughs) a gun to anyone's head here. To parents who couldn't otherwise afford it? I mean, come on, what is this? Communist China or what? And that's uh, so you're advocating for the dumbass there now. Okay, yes. I respond. Uh, just I'm just regular guy now, regular me. You're the dumbass. So we've got that. Story. No, I, I represent the, the dumbass. Yeah, you're the yes, you're the representative. You're counsel for the dumbass. Um, <laughs> in this case, it would be the Broad Foundation. Yes. Yeah. I mean, okay. So yeah, like no no gun to anyone's head. But as we've discussed earlier, like. 
clearly the larger goal here is to, you know, more or less hold it, not hold a gun to their head, but, you know, we're going to probably continue the the policy of compulsory K through 12 education only uh, in a, in a situation that's run by these private organizations. But regardless, like this is not about choice. It's like about the funding here is coming from the same source that pays for like, the other choice, which is this public school system that we all like th- theoretically have some control over as part of like a democratic process. I mean, regardless of all of the many problems there, there's at least like theoretically some kind of democratic situation here. But what you're doing, uh, if you put all of your, or really even any substantial amount of your public money into these private organizations, is you just move that money over which we have some choice into a place over which like none of us has any choice because it's all controlled by these private organizations that are uh, supposedly competing with one another or whatever. Um, and like, even if you didn't really want to get into the democracy thing, like really ultimately like the cho- the choice from a, uh, if you look at it from like a larger level, considering all the students are going to be affected, the choice is an illusion. Um, because these schools are choosing which students to accept, which ones to expel. Uh, so if you're the parent of a kid who's not attractive to charter schools for any number of reasons, you know, discipline problems, uh, language barrier, whatever, now your only choice is a public school system which now has less money, less resources than it did before the charters came in and stole it all for their like little Milton Friedman-esque experiment. So I I would argue as not the dumbass's advocate, but instead the regular guy in this segment, I would argue, uh, no, you're wrong. Uh, you don't sound like a dumbass. You sound like a smartass. Uh, oh, this is the, <laughs> you're the smartass's advocate. <laughs> oh yeah, we should we should figure out smartass's advocate next time. Which, okay. which starts starts to be more and more confusing in terms of wordplay. But <laughs> okay, okay, fine. I see. I can. I, I see your point. Okay, but how about this? Students hate school. I mean, they just hate school. Didn't you hate school when you were in it? The LAUSD is such a behemoth of an institution with such rigid and unfeeling rules governing it. Mm -hmm. Charter schools are regulated like public schools because they are chartered after all, but they have a little more freedom to give a different type of education to students. Let's see what charter schools can produce when compared to your time-tested, mother-disapproved public school. What's so wrong with that? I just want to say I really appreciate the kind of uh, antipathy for the dumbass that's in your voice as you advocate for the dumbass. (laughs) It's... If that that's how people should actually do being a devil's advocate, you know, you should actually do it like you're treating it like the devil, as opposed to every time somebody's like, "I'm just being the devil's advocate," it's like no, you're you're being a prick. Is what you're being. Um, I thought I was doing pretty good. Uh, yeah, well, 
Yeah. I could tell. I could tell you don't believe it. Mm. Um, so, okay. Did I hate school? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, not all the time. I mean, I like school a lot of times. But I, I did definitely hate school sometimes. I mean, but like not because it was a public school. You know, I mean, I hated the fact that they had a lot of control over my life. I mean, I did not like when I was... Especially when I was forced to go to school. I think this basically stopped once I was in college. But I did really resent the power that the school had over my life. You know, they were able to kind of make me do a bunch of shit that made no sense to me. Um, But that, it seems to me, only is going to get worse... If instead of, I mean, if instead of be, uh, being a private or a public school where, like, everybody theoretically has, like, a little bit of investment, uh, now we make it a, this, like, weird quasi-private school system in which, like, you know, my ability to sort of, like, robotically pencil in, like, the right spots on a Scantron is also, like, linked to some hedge fund assholes, like, ability to pay the mortgage on his fucking laser tag facility or whatever. <laughs> I mean, that... That's like a problem that I don't think is solved via the supposed freedom and flexibility uh, purportedly offered to charter schools. You know, I, I don't think that is going to make me hate school less. Uh, and I just don't believe that that's a, a an organization that's obsessed with test scores. Uh, it's just very difficult for me to see how that's going to produce a, a situation that's that's better. And, and again, we're, we've already seen what they do. I mean, because this isn't really actually a new experiment. This has been going on a long time, and there's no real reason to think that it's working. And that concludes our <laughs> uh, segment of Dumbasses Advocate. Oh, yeah. We, <laughs> we we talk you decide <laughs> yeah we, but we've already decided don't don't get it mixed up don't think we, too hard <laughs> we talk we decide if you want to decide that's fine later but uh right now we decide that's right and that uh pretty much brings us to the uh, the conclusion as well of the episode um there is this is one situation where I'm not going to recommend people read the manifesto. Yeah, don't uh, read yeah. it. We read it, so you don't have to. I'm sure no one does that anyway when we suggest it, but uh, in this case, none of us, including the like 900 or 1,200 people in India who seem to be listening to the podcast, you none of you should listen or read the read the the memo. Uh, we, we've we've picked up all the good parts for you. That's right. That's right. So, uh, till next time, till we'll be back time. with a good one uh, soon, I'm sure. All right, folks. Bye. All right, take care. It was a cool day in school.